for September 21st, 2020. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 638. Alas, poor Zingus. I knew him well. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together and talking about the things that we like. We like each other more. I mean, we we always say we like the things more when we uh, talk about them together, but we also like each other more when we talk about things together. And I like no one more in this very moment right now than Mr. Pete Fenzel. Hi, Pete. Hi, Matt. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. Likewise, definitely. You know what? You know what this is, Pete. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> this is uh, one of our storied two-handers. Ooh, I like those. Yeah, uh, Mark Lee had a bad encounter with a pumpkin spice latte, and is right, uh, right. you know um, he had to sit this one out. Literally. So uh, this is like much closer to reality <laughs> than I think anyone's going to accept. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so, you know, I mean, it's literally that Mark Lee, like in order to make members only bonus contact related to our pumpkin spice latte podcast last week, went and got a pumpkin spice latte and either causally or by coincidence immediately became violently ill and can't podcast tonight. Right. Like that's not an exaggeration. That's what happened. (laughs) And Mark, I'm sorry if that's too much information from your private life to, (laughs) to, uh, to share. But, uh, I, I feel like I just, I just dove in for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's like, a, that's what you're willing to do for our listeners. You know, that's the level of, of dedication, especially to the members, those heroes who go to overthinkingit.com slash join and, die, and uh, sign up to uh, contribute five bucks a month to the podcast uh, in order to support what we do and make it uh, a little more sustainable for us. Um, in, a, in uh, exchange for that, they get the the knowledge, the certain knowledge, the warm feeling inside uh, that they are supporting the podcast that they love. But they also get little bits of bonus content, and uh, we go to extraordinary, extraordinary lengths, including uh, the the consumption of pumpkin spice lattes for for them. And and uh, what did I say? A and two. Um, that like this is what it takes. It takes a, a great deal to you know neither neither snow nor nor rain nor sleet nor gloom of night nor nutmeg nor cinnamon nor allspice shall keep these podcasters from from making their appointed uh, appointed weekly rounds. And speaking of uh, uh, appointed weekly rounds, going round and round and round, um, the sun has gone or the earth has gone around the sun yet again. We're uh, nearing the kind of 12th anniversary of the weekly overthinking it podcast. We actually passed, I think last week we passed the, uh, the 13 plus 52 N formula. That is the kind of the mathematical anniversary, but uh, in October, uh, there's going to be the um, the annual anniversary, the you know the podcast closest to the date. So we've been we've been doing doing it like uh, it's um, it's been a long time, Pete, since uh, what what was episode thirteen between um, uh, between platform nine and three quarters and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, 
right? And uh, who who knew yeah. <laughs> that in the last twelve years, the the journey we would uh, we would go on together. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a storied two hander, Pete. What what do you think about that? I love the story two-handers. They're great. <laughs> I think so, too. Um, before we launch in, uh, you know, we're sort of – this isn't our area, so it's not um, – <laughs> It's not the uh, the topic of the podcast. We just kind of wanted to acknowledge the passing of of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's a uh, it's a difficult thing to talk about because um, she lived an extraordinary life and she had a, many meanings to many different people. And that's uh, you know so so when you kind of talk about her and talk about her life, you're sort of treading on on sacred ground a little bit because um, people you know took her into their hearts and we t- we talked about how that happens uh with people and um you know uh, uh with the death of paul walker you know we was probably our longest treatment of that particular of that particular topic um but you know in in this case it's the loss not only of a uh you know not only of a, a sort of an icon or not only of a person who has kind of personal meanings for you as kind of an inspiration or as a you know a, a uh, i said icon already what's another word for icon as a as a sort of role model or something like that but um but also uh of a human being who you know who was born who grew up who uh who lived who was married who was a a, a mother and a grandmother who had uh, by all accounts like a fantastic marriage, the sort that we should all aspire to, like who, you know, um, really, who really lived in the world. And, and so I guess, I guess rather than treading on the, on, uh, what it means <laughs> or treading on anything remotely political, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say that we lost a human being and that is sad. Uh, and you know, if you are sad about that, I, I feel for you. Um, but, uh, you know, Sometimes when I feel sad, what I do, um, and I, I don't know if this is good. <laughs> I, I, I've been doing a lot of things, Pete, over the last six months of quarantine to like deal with the like the stress or the loneliness, the isolation, the kind of the sadness, the like you know the uh, hope or hopelessness or like you know anxiety of various kinds. Like a lot of the time, you just kind of numb out watching television. As I say, I'm not sure that that is a good way of dealing with my feelings, but it's one of the things, uh, it's one of the things that I do. Is that okay uh, with you, Pete? Is that okay that it's I okay watch television? you watch television? Yeah, it's, it's uh, right, you know, high road me here, you can, you know, you know, I mean, say. From the beginning of overthinking it, I've been saying, don't apologize for what you love, man. You know, if you love watching television, that's great. Like, you can watch television. I'm not, I'm not sure know? I love watching all television. <laughs> <laughs> that I watch, but but I do a I do a great deal of it, Pete. And there's a um, there's a, a a show that I am not caught up on. Oh, and... oh, it's so great! It's a great <laughs> yeah. show. The reason I laughed is I thought you were diving right into the topic and how we know very not very very little about it, but certainly not enough to talk about it. But we're going to do it anyway because it's a story two hander and we don't hesitate. <laughs> so I'm sorry for my cackling laugh before you became incredibly serious. No, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got it. There's a show that I need to I need to catch up on. Now, I you know I know that like the trend, um, 
you know, uh, the trend in prestige television is to have a kind of hero narrative or anti, you know, since The Sopranos, an anti-hero narrative, you know, but there is a kind of a central, highly charismatic sort of Shakespearean figure around. But I I have a feeling that the show that we're going to talk about is really a lot more like a 19th century novel is like, uh, (laughs) like, like the novels of, of Dickens or the novels of, of Balzac or the novel, you know, um, just the sort of the human comedy, the great, you know, the great story of life teeming with life everywhere. And that, uh, you know, uh, personal personality enters into it, kind of hopes, dreams, aspirations enter into it, kind of intrigue, uh, enters into it, you know, rivalries, uh, society and politics kind of enter into it through the side door, uh, you know, and there's struggle both of sort of man, uh, man versus man, man versus, uh, self and, uh, also, uh, man versus nature, if you consider that nature produced the novel coronavirus and uh, uh, SARS COVID 19, and uh, for that reason, the NBA is in a bubble in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> That's the man versus nature thing here. So, Pete, catch me up on all the plot lines <laughs> in this this prestige television show that I have not kept up with, uh, the NBA playoffs. Right. Okay. It's the bubble. So one of the questions that I'm going to pose and partially how I'm going to structure this is I'm going to outline for you as somebody who has been keeping up with the NBA playoffs but without actual cable television. So I want to clarify my main sources of information of my enthusiast, enthusiastic pursuit of the NBA playoffs has been, uh, info wars videos, right? Info wars, uh, one American network. No, no, sorry. YouTube videos that mostly from the commentators, the sort of big commentary shows that are covering it, which we'll talk about later. There's a YouTube channel, um, out there, I, I don't know if I can even name the YouTube channel. I don't know. I think it's doing it things that are that are above board. It's like broadcasting press stuff. If you look for highlights from NBA games, you can find a lot of highlights of NBA games on YouTube right after they finish. Uh, highlights are certainly not a hard thing to find for sports sporting events. They kind of are everywhere. Um, and and also because I have ESPN Plus and I have Verizon Disney Plus. I've been able to access the Oculus Rail Cam of the <laughs> NBA playoffs. So I'm not able to watch the actual NBA playoffs with like the commentary and stuff. You have to have an actual cable subscription to do that. But because of some sort of weird setup between my internet provider and my subscription to the ESPN internet service, I've been able to get, and maybe I shouldn't be getting this and they'll shut it down now that I've said this. I've been able to get the commentary free semi automated rail camera. That's been like rolling back and forth watching the game, <laughs> and which is just basically like there on the front row of every game. And, and it, it's like being there. And I think you're supposed to be watching it with a VR headset, but I just watch it like on television. Um, and then I catch up with who everybody is and what happened later. And I think there's also an above the rim cam. And I think normally you would want to be able to cut to those things for replays or for for kind of compositing of different shots and stuff. Uh, but, uh, but in this case, it's the only thing I can watch. Pete, is that, is that supremely weird though? Like, is it, is there like a weird VR ish perspective thing? Like, or do you feel like you're on a motion ride without the motion or something? It's great. I really like it. It probably is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
And well, here's the thing, right? Okay, so if we're going to talk about basketball, we should probably start from the beginning because if you want to make what is it a cherry pie or an apple pie, you first must create the universe. Um, watching basketball, I have a certain gripes with watching basketball, and I and I basketball was the the conventional sport I was best at of the big four conventional sports. It's a game that I, I I've cared a lot about at various points in my life. Um, and it's not something I've necessarily kept up with because I was a Knicks fan. And some people are laughing sadly about that because the Knicks has sort of crashed and burned over the course of the last 25 years. Mm. Right. And it's been terrible. So Knicks fans have kind of ceased being basketball fans to one degree or another. Many of us are sort of refugees out in the cold. But at any rate, it's metaphorical, of course. One of the great things about this is the stakes are are you would argue might be low. They might not be low. But anyway, watching basketball is tricky because all of the players, generally speaking, are really tall, right? And this creates problems of perspective because you don't have a sense for how tall they are when they're only standing next to each other. Um, and, and I, this is my feeling about watching basketball. And this, this affects both watching basketball live. So the last basketball game I watched live was at um, the Garden here in Boston uh, where I saw Paul Pierce's Celtics before they were really good. Back when they were terrible, uh, I went to go see a Celtics game and I had nosebleed seats way, way up in the arena. And watching basketball from up there isn't fun at all. I mean, because you just sort of watch people move, walk back and forth. Right. They sort of they're not there's nothing about um, the distances are short enough and the people are large enough that it's hard to gauge the actual speed at which they're moving, right? And it's hard to gauge the actual distances between them, right? So they can appear from certain angles, like they're standing very far apart, but they have very long arms, right? So it's <laughs> sort of like, and I know this from playing basketball, the idea of kind of engaging into a proximity with another person while playing basketball, the, the amount of space that that takes varies a lot based on the situation, right? So so for people who are not familiar with basketball at all, let's, let's back it way up, all right? So, and I am going to get through the NBA playoffs and all the different storylines, but like the super duper basics of the game of basketball, which at this point is a pretty global game, right, is that you're trying to put a ball about the size of your head into a hoop that's 10 feet off the ground. That's horizontal, right? You're trying to throw it through there and you get, you know, you get two points if you throw it in there from relatively close and you get three points if you throw it in there from farther away. And of course, you know, everybody said, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of being a little bit, you know, glib here, but, I, but let's really talk about the super duper basics. And the other basics are that you have to, you can't run with the ball, right? You have to bounce the ball while you're walking um, or, or running, right? And so this, this leads to these sort of, conventional choreographies of like, well, I know that for somebody to dribble past me, you know, you're trained to like watch their watch their abdomen, right? Rather than their legs or their arms, because they learn all these elaborate fakes, right? Where they're going to fake one way and they're going to cross you up and they're going to dribble with their right hand to their left hand and they're going to go past you. And so you learn to kind of watch their center of mass, mm. right? And if the center of mass moves, then you move. Uh, and, and you want to kind of be able to interfere with them if they're going to try to throw the ball in the basket, right? Which is my sort of very layman's way of putting like you're going to try to like try to block shots. You're going to try to stop them from throwing the ball in the basket. But if you if you hit them, mm. then you get called for a foul and then they get free shots, right? That they can hopefully, you know, hopefully they make them for their sake. Um, and so there's this push and pull between wanting to be close to the people that you're playing against and needing to give them a certain amount of space, especially because in the modern basketball game, rather than the game that I grew up watching and playing, 
uh, physical contact and particularly violent physical contact is very discouraged. Right. Um, when I was growing up, basketball was really physical. Um, and I don't mean physical. I when I mean physical. I mean, like you would push and shove and, and hit people. Right. Not like punch them, but like, you know, a lot of it was pretty punishing. Uh, to, you know, to be playing, I know particularly me, I was relatively tall in seventh grade. So I'd be under the basket, you know, like throwing elbows and, and boxing people out. And, and, you know, you get hit in the head with stuff and, you know, it's, it's a pretty violent game. Uh, it was originally played in cages, not originally, but it was originally it was played by children at YMCA. But, but, uh, in the late 19th century, it was played in cages and was known for being barbarically violent. Uh, but it is, it has recently become much more virtuosic and there's many, many players who can shoot, uh, copious and skillful three-point shots from extremely far away whilst like leaping high and, and releasing the ball instantly. Uh, just the level of skill and talent in the NBA is very high. So at any rate, my issue with watching basketball is that if you're watching it from too far away, because the field is small, because the people are large and take very large strides, it's, and because the scale of it, it's, it's hard to benchmark it against anything. It's hard to tell how fast people are moving or how fast the ball is moving. And it's hard to tell just how difficult it is for one person to kind of get past another, sure. right? To kind of dribble this, past another, yeah. pass around another, stuff like that. This is a problem that's compounded by, you know, long lenses on cameras, by, by the kind of various optical effects that, you know, happen when you shoot with various kinds of camera lenses that could, like, distort the actual spatial relationships among you know bodies in space yeah so now you're getting what i'm talking about right yeah. which is that there is a standard way of shooting after 12 years games. pete fine. and now i'm getting it no well, <laughs> you know what i'm talking about though like that that there's a standard way of watching pretty much every major sport that's been on tv for a long time they found the camera angle that they liked somewhere around 1978 and they haven't changed it since then yeah. right ba- baseball i mean other than eye vision for i mean there are changes right now Football, they have they have cameras that are on wires going over the the stadium, and you know they have all these options to take footage from different angles because they don't have to man the cameras anymore. And yet, the cinematography, as it were, between behind sporting events tends to be pretty similar to what it has been in the past. Even though there are a lot of innovations, and it's not, and you would say, well, of course it's very different. Eh, there's still certain stock camera angles. Yeah. Um, I don't think the stock camera angle to watch basketball is very good. Mm. Uh, it's not particularly exciting. Um, it's sort of three quarters up, and you're sort of you're, you're probably really really far back and zoomed in. Mm-hmm. And in that in that sort of setup, it's you you get to clearly see everything that's happening, but you really don't get the sense for the speed and dynamism and the difficulty of playing basketball from that angle, unless you're watching Michael Jordan and you're like, oh, he's so amazing, right? And, and of course, we at the beginning of coronavirus, we all fixated on Michael Jordan for two months. Um, so, yeah, but yeah. W- watching if you're watching the rail cam, and if you watch it in VR, I'm sure it's great. But if you're watching the rail cam, that's like courtside. You can actually, if you have tons of money, you can buy courtside seats or close-up seats to NBA games. And and the experience, from what I've been told, of being there in person, and from what I can believe from having been watching the NBA playoffs on the Oculus cam, right. Is uh, is that it's totally different. Right. And also from the experience of having played a lot of basketball over the years, because when you play basketball, it doesn't really feel like this sort of stayed back and forth. We go to this side of the court. We go to that side of the court. It feels very like strenuous and kinetic. Yeah. And, like, so challenging. So, so, Pete, this is in in one of life's many injustices. Uh, I sat courtside at a Clippers game once. <laughs> Yeah, um, right, right, 
right, right, right. And I, so I, uh, I was, uh, like four seats off the Clippers bench at the, not on the, what is it called? The baseline of the court, not on the kind of the sideline so of the court. So behind the basket. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but to the side. So it was right by, by the corner of the court. I was like, uh, seat three, I think. Um, seats one and two had in the paint underneath them the, the, uh, the Carter family. Um, but, uh, like Jimmy Carter? Uh, no, like, uh, Sean Carter. <laughs> and his and his John, wife <laughs> john carter uh no, of mars or? no sean <laughs> sean carter uh bill wayne <laughs> <laughs> no you're talking about jay-z and beyonce right um uh, who are you talking about uh yes sir uh Gary carter uh, yeah <laughs> But the uh, yeah, so so the, it was a weird fluke of a kind of friend of a friend uh, sort of situation where where I ended up in this situation. And, you know, uh, me being me, I didn't know what the heck was going on half the time. I mean, the shrimp was all right in the, you know, in the like the underground bunker suite that we that we went to. But um, yeah, uh, the the word that that I'd use for like seeing seeing that particular activity up close like that is and actually like how how small it is uh, really um, was impressed on me in the same way that like the first time I saw a live soccer game, like how big a soccer pitch is, is like it's it's sort of hard to conceive if you only watch it on television and kind of how small the basketball uh, court is. Um, maybe it's just that the players are so large, but like it, it feels so contained. Like there's so much energy kind of pushing into this small space when you see it live. And I guess the word that I'd use to kind of describe the action on the court is explosive, right? Yeah. It just felt like it just felt like this this huge buildup of energy and then these like explosive releases of energy again and again and again and again and again. Yeah. And it doesn't feel that way when you watch it on regular TV. No, 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 and it's I, not. Yeah. It feels like more of a side to side game, you know? Yes, 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 exactly. So so I am recommending that if you have the option to watch the NBA on alternate camera angles, even though you don't hear the announcers, you do hear the announcer of the game in person, like the person who was saying, you know, is uh, you know uh, son of a gumpo. just you know and he names the players as they score and flashes their pictures up on the wall and uh, you do hear that but you don't hear the commentary explaining to you you know nonsense uh, that is so characteristic of, of sporting events and stuff so uh, but I do recommend it and that's been my main source so again there are much much bigger basketball fans than I am but I've gotten very excited about this basketball season and so I do apologize in advance for the numerous inaccuracies that I'm going to say. Uh, and I do hope that in in the general sense, most of what I'm talking about is low stakes enough that nobody will be bothered by it. And if you have your own idea of like what has been happening based on superior information to mine or more correct information, please weigh in on the comments. Because I think a big part of this whole season is just, there's just this, I mean, buzz is the term that I would come up with. It's one of the few situations where I would describe buzz as really feeling like the sensation of the information around it because there are so many different things that are happening and undercurrents that are taking place and kind of expectations and counter expectations maybe it's it's just me sitting on my couch with a baby like totally isolated while my wife is asleep and i'm like you know on the on the occasions where i let her sleep in which you know not let her where we agree where we share days where she sleeps one day sleeps in one and sleeps in on one day and i sleep in on a different day 
or the rare occasion when, you know, she actually gets to go do something fun and I take care of the baby. And I'm not saying, you know, it's we're all negotiating these things, but I find myself in this thunderdome of basketball with this child who doesn't speak English and my brain has been popping. So if there are things about this that are wrong, I both I, I say sorry, not sorry. Uh, because uh, my sources of information have been flawed. But I still think that there are a lot of really cool stories, and, and I want to kind of walk you through some of them. But it's right? also it's also just interesting, just because it's a kind of a certain form of, like, mentation, that, like, you're, I'm, I'm interested, Pete, in your, your basketball headcanon, you know? Okay, sure, sure. Would you want some more advanced knowledge before we delve into the... Uh... <laughs> no, go, go, go. I'm, 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 okay. I'm on the edge of my seat with, like, uh, what, are these, what are these, you know, three-dimensional characters that you see in virtual reality <laughs> from, the Oculus, from the Oculus camera? What are, they, what are they going to do this season? Okay, so, protagonist one. <laughs> and each, each one of these stories, I feel, is ridiculous, Right. So and this will take you way, way, way back to back when the NBA suspended its season in March, because really recounting everything that's happened this NBA season, it's crazy. Right. And I know that there's a lot of crazy stuff that's been happening over the course of the year. And I also know that there are a lot of people who feel very strongly that, like, this is not a time in which sports should be played. Uh, um, and while I, I think, you know, I definitely support, you know, your 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 uh, perhaps your moral stance on the matter. Uh, I don't share your discipline. <laughs> no, but I would disagree. I think I think actually this is exactly when sports need to be played. Uh, but but I'm not going to get into that one. And I, I think that there's there's a, a, a substantial conversation to be had about that uh, that can be had in another forum because right now I kind of want to lighten things up a little bit a little bit because there's going to be things that are heavy right. And we'll start the heavy the heavy thing to start with is the first protagonist of the 2019 to 2020 regular season would be Rudy Gobert, right, of the Utah Jazz. Are you familiar with Rudy Gobert? I'm going to ask this for every single person, by the way, Matt. Are you familiar with Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz? And Pete, I'm going to I'm going to uh, answer the same for everyone. Uh, no, sir, I am not. But please, uh, please do tell. So, so Rudy Gobert is sort of the. Uh, is sort of the Eve, the sort of Eve that Eve what bit the apple ah. of the NBA season because, if, as you may recall, way back in March, Rudy in 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 the when the NBA was first attempting to manage its season against the backdrop of COVID in a safe manner, with, you know, without endangering the lives of many many people uh, unnecessarily because it's basketball. Um, it, it still was allowing teams to kind of travel from city to city. And in one particular press conference, I um, Rudy Gobert, uh, the Utah Jazz Center, like went out jokingly and touched all the microphones. Oh, right. Yes. No, sorry. Board. Now, th th I remember this. I remember the yes. action, but not the name of the character. Yes. And so so Rudy Gobert. So you imagine imagine this, the story where it's you know, Rudy Gobert goes out there and jokingly touches all the microphones of the whole press corps after everybody's been instructed that we are going to be taking extensive care to keep everybody safe from COVID. Of course, the next development in this story is... Uh, he he contracts COVID nineteen exactly, <laughs> and uh, or or he had contracted COVID nineteen and and did not know it at the time exactly, and so the the people who had played in those games were all you know exposed uh, to a greater or lesser degree to COVID, and I won't go into the specifics of it, but this is sort of the original sin that torpedoes the NBA's uh, season and causes them to go back to the drawing board, right, and to uh, figure out what it is they're going to do in order to play professional basketball in the United States this year. Uh, or and or Canada, um, and, they, and of course the the question is okay. 
because the team had already traveled to another city by the time all of this was known. And so, oh, wow, our ability to test and kind of know things is not going to be able to keep up with our schedule. And again, this is my sense for it. We have to face the reality that we can't have these teams traveling. We want to see if we can hold the whole season in one place. And where on earth can we possibly find a place where they have a capacity for a large number of people to go there, but nobody's there right now, and they have the capacity to run a big broadcast, right, of a, of a big global media event, but nobody's doing it right now, right? And also a place where a whole bunch of, you know, pretty highly compensated and demanding uh, you know, professionals who are at the peak of their craft uh, can be convinced to kind of leave their families behind and stay for however long it takes for them to conclude their business. Uh, and the answer to all these questions is, of course, Disney World, right? <laughs> it's, it's the place where no one is, the happiest place on earth because no one's there, right? And uh, and so they go to the ESPN Wild World of Sports Complex down in Disney World, and the, and the teams all stay in hotels and create this very strange dynamic where they're playing against each other, but they're also kind of seeing each other in the hallway. And the, the, the phenomena of home court advantage, which is very influential in the outcome of sporting events, uh, is no more. Even though when you listen to the announcer, the sort of person in the, in the court who is announcing these, the, uh, he's actually, I think, instructed and or programmed, because I don't know if he's a real person, <laughs> but, uh, in each game to fav- more favorably treat one team than the other. Oh, that's so, <laughs> right? like, that's so interesting. Are there notionally, I mean, uh, aside from that, maybe unconscious effect that you're talking about, like are, is there notionally uh, a home and an away team in, yes. in each game? Oh, that's so interesting. I believe so. I believe so. Well, cause there are, there also are fans who are watching, who have like applied for the opportunity to watch the game on their laptops or computers or something and to be videotaped whilst doing it and to have their images put up on the wall yeah as the as the audience right and and it's sort of uh, they have to be sort of consistent fans they have to wear the fan the team gear right and so there's this really elaborate you know simulacrum that's going on uh but it's of course the simulacrum of a simulacrum et cetera et cetera right like you know this is the arena right the arena is an abstraction um, and, uh, and here, of course, it's, it's funny because you could suggest that this is the fakest basketball that's ever been played, but it also might be the realest basketball that's ever mm. been played, right? Because it's just the kind of, it's the walls and everything that's been kind of physically present in the room, uh, has had its kind of material importance stripped away as it's been replaced by image and recording. Right. And so like, okay, you know, if the, if the game is really not just to play basketball, but to play basketball when a whole bunch of people are screaming at you. Uh, we've maintained that sense, right? That there's a whole bunch of people yelling. There's like recordings of noise. There's people on the internet getting really upset all the time. Right. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. So, so, the, so what you're saying the, the, uh, among 20 snowy mountains, the only moving thing was the basketball. I don't know what that's a reference to, but you don't know who any of these people are. So I think we're on even, even footing. <laughs> that's the first stanza of 13 ways of looking at a blackbird, uh, by Wallace Stevens, slightly altered for basketball purposes. So, so Rudy Gobert's story ends with his team making it through into the playoffs of this bubble season. Right. And of course the, one of the dramatic, the dramatic ironies 
it's not a dramatic it is a dramatic irony but it is not dramatic irony of this basketball season is you get to go home when you lose (laughs) (laughs) well wait hold on you know please don't throw me into the briar patch that's uh you know okay yeah 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 exactly so so you get to go home when you lose and so it is always debatable how much people actually want to win right what is your particular motivation to win in this season at basketball and to everyone's credit i think there's been a lot of very high quality basketball being played and having occasionally watched football games baseball games i do feel like the quality of play in basketball has maintained a high level that i have not perhaps seen uh as much in the other sports but maybe that's just because again i'm, I'm a giants fan in football and it's a disaster but at any rate uh rudy gobert ends his season Right. In the end of game seven Mm. of the uh, divisional series against the Denver Nuggets. Uh, And it's um, it's either divisional or it's like a play in. But it's a game seven of a playoff series against the Denver Nuggets where the uh, Denver's ahead by two points and he gets the ball uh, and and throws it forward to his teammate who uh, shoots a three pointer that misses. Right. And and the the sort of. The sort of contrapasso to his uh, initiation of this whole thing is that when he throws this pass, his foot is out of bounds. Mm. Right. Is that is that on the last pass, his foot is right up on the line Uh, and it's debatable. It's debatable whether he steps out of bounds before he throws the ball, which means that he could have lost the whole season for his team. Right. But you can say, well, the three pointer didn't go in. So they they allowed the three pointer to be shot, and the three pointer did not go in. So it's really not his fault. But at the same time, you know, he starts from this perspective of not taking COVID seriously, which is a, a foolish sort of perspective that a lot of people have decided to share for one reason or another. Uh, and of course, there's been a, a mighty and terrible uh, reckoning, uh, both you know, that has been unfortunately not necessarily directed just at the people who have expressed this uh, perspective on things, but on others as well. Um, but at any rate. Uh, you know, he starts it by touching all the microphones and then he goes out by not being able to stay on the court right at the end of his season, which mm-hmm. isn't of itself kind of like a powerful little moment. So he's one of the sort of characters that's followed us through. But there are so many, Matt. There are so many. Um, uh, are you per- <laughs> uh... Matt, <laughs> are you familiar with. Uh, oh man, I should I should go around before I go in. Are you familiar with Kevin Durant? Do you know who Kevin Durant is? No, there's one I do know. Okay, so you know who Kevin Durant is. Who's Kevin Durant? Ke- uh, Kevin Durant, He's a basketball uh, player. <laughs> basketball player. He's a uh, uh, professional basketball player. Um, I couldn't tell you who he plays for. Does he play Why, for? You, there's a reason you can't. Tell oh, okay. Th- there you go. <laughs> so yeah. I, I didn't even know there was a reason. I uh, mean, the reason is that he has both uh, changed teams and been horribly injured. Oh, um, and so he is one of the he is one of the short list of people who might be described as the best basketball player currently. And there are several candidates, although of course one who towers over the rest. And we'll get to him later. Oh, we will. Uh, but. Uh, Kevin Durant is a uh, very tall, but also very fast and skilled player of the sort that tends to break the game of basketball in half, Uh, you know, starting starting from I mean, starting as far back, I guess, as like Will Chamberlain and moving forward. But starting in the modern era, perhaps with uh, Magic Johnson uh, and moving forward, although Kevin Durant is no Magic Johnson, but just the idea that 
basketball sort of has this notional idea that the people who are really tall are supposed to have a more limited skill set than the people who are less tall. And that if you're 6'10", you're not supposed to be super great at everything. Uh, and Kevin Durant is super great. And uh, and and so Kevin Durant, of course, had had been on the Golden State Warriors, uh, along with Steph Curry, another one of the candidates for kind of the transformative. He's more of the candidate, like the definitive player of the modern uh, era of basketball in the sense that he is kind of broken three point shooting wide open as basketball has been moneyballed. Right. Uh, and the idea that people did suddenly realize that the thing about shooting three point shots is they're worth three points. And so the whole game of basketball, as it's played on the professional level, has transformed as people has realized that statistically, if you attempt more three point shots, even if you have a worse percentage at them, it has to be a much, much worse percentage in order uh, for you to score less points. Right. And this has led to teams and players in general also being much becoming much, much better very quickly at shooting three pointers with certain people becoming, you know, geniuses. Right. And one of them is Steph Curry. And right. And so you had uh, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant were on the Golden State Warriors. And that's a whole other story of how the Golden State Warriors, uh, you know, coached first. Um, uh, well, coached by Steve Kerr currently, I could go back through the whole drama of uh, Mark Jackson and, and stuff. But but suffice it to say that heretofore, the Golden State Warriors are one of the major dynasties of basketball that didn't actually even get to go to the bubble because Kevin Durant left and Steve Kerr and uh, Steve Kerr, Steve uh, Steph Curry broke his hand. Right. And so they were terrible this year and they didn't even get to play. Right. But Kevin Durant has been he he plays for the Brooklyn Nets now, but he's also recovering from an Achilles tendon surgery. And so he's the man on the outside. He's the one who doesn't get to play in this season, but has huge expectations for what he's going to be doing next season. He's been paired in Brooklyn with uh, a guy named Kyrie Irving, who is also believed to be one of the better players in the league, though not on the same level as Kevin Durant. And, and, and there's this sort of been this sort of periodic check in with him. Over the course of this season to be like, have you, you know, have you seen this thing that has happened? Have you seen that thing that has happened? How's your Achilles tendon rehabilitation going? Right. Will you ever be as good as you were? Right. And and also this notion of if you were to pick I know I don't think that people would ask him this straight out, but it's like if you were to pick one basketball season to miss, would it be this one? Right. Or would if you could pick one basketball season to not miss, would it be this one? Right. Is the protagonist of this story the man on the outside who is sort of already mentally gearing up for coming back next season, which presumably, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do because I don't think this is COVID will necessarily be gone you know, when, when that happens. But, but there will have been a sense that he will have missed something special. I think, uh, I think, um, and his story crisscrosses, uh, later on with other stories and other narratives that happen. But I just want to put that idea in your head that like the people who haven't, I'm, I'm sort of go, starting with the people who didn't quite make it in. Right. The people who didn't quite get to advance deep into the playoffs who aren't really trying at this point contending within the bubble, uh, but still might in some way be considered to be a protagonist of uh, of some corner. Right. Some sort of playable character in the uh, in the, you know, square Enix melange. That is the current uh, <laughs> NBA basketball season. Right. Um, it, it, Kevin Durant is kind of out there in 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 the. Uh, in, in the sort of echoes. Right. And, and again, we'll come back to him later because there's a big thing that happens for him. Um, but any thoughts about that kind of hero, that kind of story? Do you think are there, can you think of any stories where like the outsider is really the person that you that you are watching, that you're 
watching it from I mean, I guess what Nick Carraway from Great Gatsby, except it's like this would be like if Nick Carraway had like a gigantic mansion that he just couldn't go to because it was <laughs> renovated. <right? Like, laughs> and he had like this wonderful wife named Daisy, whom he loved very much. Right. Like and, and he had all these things, but they just weren't here right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I guess I, I sort um, of started to think about like the music man. I mean, there's a lot of like stranger comes to town kind of things. Um right. a lot of Westerns actually the sort of the cowboy or the sheriff or whoever kind of comes to town and is the is the outsider but that's i feel like we're getting far, far afield so, of the like like if, if i were to make a version of nba jam right the two-on-two arcade basketball game nba jam based on the bubble which yeah. i think would be amazing and somebody yeah. should totally make it yeah. i would make it so that once you won once you beat everybody you had to face off against Steve, uh, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Ah, they're, ah. they're good. Like as in, as the sort of warriors of the previous years. Right. Um, and I know there are other warriors and, and, and all that, but it's like, they, they, to me feel like this sort of metaphysical final boss, like everything that you're doing out there would have mattered a lot more if they were there. Um, though it's still the question of whether it matters gets posed every night and answered in different ways as the game progresses. Um, Shall I jump to our next protagonist? Please, uh, ask me if I've heard of them. Have you heard the name Giannis Antetokounmpo? Uh, wait, yeah, that's from season two of The Wire, right? That's the, <laughs> they call him the Greek, right? That's the... He's the Greek. Did you know he was the Greek? <laughs> wait, did uh, you not know he was from Greece? The, the... What the Greek? Oh, I thought the thing at the end was when he goes on the when he goes on the plane. He says, "I'm not even Greek." I thought that was the you know. And the, oh, sorry, spoiler alert for the wire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Giannis Antetokounmpo is Greek. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is a Greek professional basketball player. He is now, spoiler alert, the two-time consecutive MVP of the National Basketball Association. Mm. Um, he is a phenomenally gifted athlete and also a phenomenally trained athlete just an incredible athlete in terms of of speed and coordination and strength uh he is shaquille o'neal-esque in certain respects uh in in the in the notion that the league of course with its obsession with three-pointers has has seen something of a diminishment in the uh in the power and aggression of its tall dudes who score from closer to the basket right mm. uh and Giannis is the sort of second coming of this kind of uh this kind of player right the return of the big man uh is although he's more of a power forward and, and and he's more of a forward than a center but the idea that he can come out there and be that big and that strong and and still you know score at will and be competitive and and have teams that have the best record in the league despite the fact that you know he's not going out there and shooting 33 point shots in a game right uh it's made him a real a real uh central figure right and and the big the big story of Giannis Antetokounmpo uh is is uh well I mean his backstory is that of course he is from Greece and he grew up quite poor I believe um and they uh they were not they were born in Greece, but they were uh, immigrants from Lagos in Nigeria. Um, and, uh, and and so they had they didn't have Greek citizenship and they were kind of selling things on the streets. Uh, you know, they, you'll sort of hear his story brought up a lot of how he came from poverty and his parents couldn't work. And uh, and then how he started playing basketball and he became um, a kind of B-League 
you know, minor league Greek basketball player, right? And then moves on and plays through all the European leagues and jumps from the European leagues into the NBA, into the NBA draft as opposed to from uh, American high school or college. Mm. Um, and that's also sort of a running theme of the modern NBA is that you're finally seeing the maturation of kids who grew up in the Michael Jordan era, who, who uh, are from overseas and who have, you know, committed themselves to basketball with the same sort of fervor and expectation of reward as American kids have for so many years. Um, and I mean, you could argue since since probably magic uh, is sort of revitalized the game in the 80s. And you get these sort of like great new generations of ever growing skill because people practice younger and they practice more and more people do it, which means that you have more of an opportunity to capture the most gifted people in uh, in your in your game. So Giannis Antetokounmpo, this is all a whole lot of buildup uh, for what's going to be very disappointing, right? which is that uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is, is the, it comes into the playoffs as, you know, the guy to beat. He's on the Milwaukee Bucks, the team to beat best best uh, record in the league. And, um, of course, um, what will happen is they will get bounced earlier than you would think. Um, and, and they, and they will get bounced. Um, I believe it is by, uh, you know, I feel, I really, I feel like it's also by the Denver Nuggets. Um, I think that the Nuggets, is it the Nuggets or do they, oh, I should have looked this up. I feel like I'm going to get this wrong. Who beat the Bucks? Cause all that mattered is, is, uh, is, is that they lost, um, but uh, Has anyone, but yeah, I, can't, I can't be the first person to notice that since Colorado legalized uh, recreational cannabis, the the Denver Nuggets, the 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 dank nugs of Denver has a, a different meaning, right? Then I can't be the first person to notice. Yeah. That. Oh no, it's by the Miami Heat. I've forgotten whether Milwaukee was in the Eastern Conference or Western Conference. But yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks were eliminated by the Miami Heat. Got to um, got to put a little Miami Heat on your Denver Nugget. To I think they call that blazing up. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to a, a player on the Miami Heat and a player on the Denver Nuggets who sort of vaguely look like each other and are also arguers arguments for the protagonist of the NBA season. Mm. Um, although I feel like I've already like gone way over on time just talking about these people. But but the the intervening event that happens, of course, is the the uh, the shooting in Wisconsin happened and the and the Bucks were the team that began the boycott where mm-hmm. the NBA players effectively went on strike, although they have an actual union. Like one, one thing that I think it's important for people to know is that, you know, when you have an actual union, you don't just sort of say that you go on strike, right? Negotiations are an ongoing thing. Uh, there are, they have stages and degrees and, and they're kind of developed over time. It's not really just a matter of you do nothing or you strike. Right. Um, but the players did effectively uh, cease playing right uh, for a while while they demanded that the league, Step in and support racial justice initiatives, uh, yeah, perhaps they, even dismissing the 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 uh, season altogether. That's so interesting. That yeah, I mean, they. W- I guess it's like because a strike is a particular thing, and there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of of process and procedure that makes a strike a strike. So what what would you say they walked off the job briefly? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. They they refuse they refuse to play. Yeah. Uh, they 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 described it as a boycott. Uh-huh. Which is interesting because it positions the bubble as a consumer experience to them, uh, which would make sense because they're staying in a hotel at Disney World. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> there was a lot of talk at the time about how this was sort of a reflection of a very, uh, you know, sort of capitalist, decadent way of looking at work. Right. Which we've talked about on the podcast a number of times. They should recognize that they are not consumers 
of the NBA. They they are the workers who add value to the NBA, and so they don't boycott, they strike. But at the same time, you know, um, you know that's what they called it, and they called it that for reasons, presumably. And so there's a lot to discuss about that whole. Yeah, but it's I mean, it's um, also like calling something a boycott connects it to a whole kind of history of economic protest over racial issues yes, in the yes, yes. you know in the country. That's and a good like, point. Yeah, the number of you know I I forget whether it was pennies or Woolworths or something. There were some you know targeted boycotts during the civil rights era, which you know that that. Uh, to me, that's where my mind went when I heard the word boycott rather than rather than thinking of like, oh, uh, it means I'm a consumer of this store. It it, it str- struck me as a way to kind of connect it to that legacy. Right, right, right. And so so you have the Bucks, right, where they're the team to beat. They're playing in the playoffs. They start the boycott, but they never when the boycott happened, there was then a vote Right. There was like a conference and a vote of the players who were there. And two of the teams said that they didn't want to play the season anymore. Um, and uh, and they were the two L.A. teams, the Clippers and the Lakers. Mm. And everybody else said they wanted to play the season, presumably including the Bucks, who had started it. So there was a real kind of imbalance of like, what is it that is being sort of demanded here? Or is this sort of a like moment of silence? Is this sort of a powerful gesture reminding everybody of what could be taken away from them? Or is this like, or are we at the point that it's being taken away? And I think even, you know, this, this, you know, uh, uh, perhaps greatest player ever who also stands in the shadows of our podcast and shall be revealed in time had said that his goal in voting to end the season was to put additional pressure on the owners. And I believe the, the end result is the NBA getting much more involved in, in, uh, in, in voting, right. And, and, uh, agreeing to make their arenas polling stations and to support, uh, you know, uh, projects, uh, to, um, in, you know, support and, and broaden the practical franchise is how I would describe it to hopefully foil efforts to deny black Americans the vote. Um, and the, and making the NBA owners set some resources in pursuit of that objective. Yeah, sort of anti. Of did not want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sort of anti shenanigans. Yeah, um, yes, and of course, yeah. the forces of shenanigans are mighty and cruel, and the forces of anti shenanigans are always fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, this seemed like a powerful moment for such things. Um, so. And then, but then what happens, of course, is the Bucks come back and they play and they lose, right? And so, <laughs> and so everyone's like, and so the story of Giannis is sort of strangely, right? Um, his team is not good enough, right? Not that he's not good enough, of course, because he's super duper great. Uh, and, and his team had the best record in the NBA. Uh, but like, what team does he need to be on in order to win the cha- a championship? And at the ripe old age of 25, he, of course, has like is way over the hill in terms of his. his he needs to, to to win some championships real soon or else it'll all be for nothing. <laughs> like this, this, uh, this, this career in professional sports where he's, you know, across continents. I know. I mean, Gian, Gian, Giannis, I can I can relate, man. There's nothing crueler than to once have had potential. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is the perfect level of exaggeration of the concern for Giannis's future career. But it's also like there's also something to be said for, you know, sports media abhors a great player in a small market. Yep. Right? <laughs> they, they want him playing in, you know, L.A., in San Francisco, in New York. They want him. Nobody wants to play in New York. Uh, but <laughs> right. want to play for the Knicks. I mean, maybe for Brooklyn. But uh, but like they want him in a in a bigger market where. 
they're going to be talking about him all the time anyway, but they would rather that more more fans were interested in that at any given time. So so Giannis is kind of one of the uh, one of the potential one of the potential uh protagonist matt how long have we been going uh we're uh we're at 50 minutes pete oh god there's so much more to get through (laughs) i should i really start i should really start hitting more rapid rapid fire people um have have are you familiar with uh (laughs) i want to i'm going to start it's funny from an nba perspective and it's like man i really got to start hitting the really important people are you familiar with boban marjanovic uh he's not one of the important people he was one of the hilarious people Uh, i mean well obviously pete i am but you know some of the (laughs) listeners may not be so you should go you should you know uh just delve into it for their benefit So, so one of the stories of the so okay i gotta i gotta accelerate this a little bit I want to sort of flesh out all these stories, but I accelerate this a little bit. One of the narratives, so the narratives we've talked about so far are like, you know, the way that this whole thing started and 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 Rudy, right? And Rudy and his folly, right? Um, also, the yeah, that's, so that's that's there. hubris. That's, you know, yes. I'm just going to try to relate these to like ancient Greek plays if I can. So there's right. there's there's a little hubris for you. Right. And then there are the, the sort of mighty people who are not there, who don't get to contend in the events that are being played out, but who are of concern because there's this sort of sense that their future, their future participation is of great importance. And what they think about current events is like really important. Right? R- R- rage Muse, sing of the rage of Achilles, stuck yes. in his tent. Son- <laughs> and his Achilles tendon, right, which he is <laughs> yeah, torn and is hoping to he will bounce back when he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Then there's the story of of the young man who comes in with this tremendous power and glory and who fails young and uh-huh. who everybody is sort of like, this is a huge catastrophe, right? But who the audience might be thinking like, I mean, he's still around. He's not, he's not dead. <laughs> like he's, uh, um, I mean, perhaps it's, it's more along the lines of like, but what is it? What's the tragic story of like, of like uh, the collective desire for, for youth and strength? to meet its like full realization and the uh the role of the cruel fates in uh, in kind of crushing that sort of thing. Yeah, I was thinking um, like wait, who is the who is the um is it Ajax? Who's the who's the like uh, Agamemnon's boy? The reason that that uh, oh, Orestes, Orestes, yeah, or no? Yeah, the, I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah, right. Or like, no, who's the guy? Who's the reason that Achilles is is hanging out in his tent? Because like he's well, it's Agamemnon because he took the lady. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh like, yes, right. Sorry, it was over. It was over a lady. It wasn't over being butthurt over, you know, some some like young strong man being, uh, uh, you know, getting more attention. Okay. Well, okay. But, yeah, but say, saying saying that it was about a lady is also, of course, being unfairly nice to the ancient Greeks and their attitudes about gender gender uh, gender issues, as it were. But uh, we'll leave that we'll leave that one where it lies. You guys know what we're talking about. Um, so then. Uh, I got to I got to jump to the Dallas Mavericks, who are the team that brought me into this, that started getting me really excited, was watching not just Boban Marjanovic, who is an incredibly tall uh, basketball player and is not particularly like a top all star kind of player. He um, the 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 um, oh, man, now I have to look up the third guy. Uh, there's Boban Marjanovic, Luka Doncic, and the Dallas Mavericks had a third guy whose last name starts with a P who was injured. Um, Kristaps Porzingis, right? And they, and so Kristaps Porzingis is Latvian. 
Uh, Boban Marjanovic is Serbian and Luka Doncic is Slovenian. Um, and they also have Steph Curry's little brother, Seth. And so they were playing in the playoffs also. And, um, and, and there was a certain, and they were playing against the LA Clippers who are another one of our protagonists, right? So, so to introduce a couple other protagonists, you could say that there, that it's looked like it might be the story of Luca, who is a guy, another one of these European players who's been playing professional basketball in Europe, probably for not very much money for most of it, since he was very young. Uh, and, you know, and, and has won multiple European championships, right? And then Boban was also like a very, very good player in Europe. And they both come over to the NBA. And Boban's in his early 30s. And Luca is 21 years old. And is like, and, and there's a situation where Kristaps Porzingis, uh, who is another sort of sob story for the New York Knicks' his inability to, to treat basketball players with even a modicum of proper respect, <laughs> um, has come into Dallas. Um, Porzingis is hurt, right? Can't play. They're up against the Clippers, the favorites to win it all by a lot of people, right? Um, Boban's good, but he's not super great. He's not like a super all-star player. And Luka has sprained his ankle, right? And so there's this super dramatic, beautiful game where Luka comes out and scores like 43 points and wins the game and the overtime with a three-pointer from way beyond the arc at the buzzer, fall away, you know, huge, beautiful sports moments, Right. And so there could be the idea that this is about them, except in the next two games, they get crushed and lose. Right. <laughs> um, but for that one moment, it was like pure basketball magic. Right. Um, it was this idea that, that like, God, nobody wow. thought it, that they could win. This right? is the Iliad a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, mighty Diomedes who, who dropped a rock from a great height, right. <laughs> Infused with the spirit of Athena. Right. Um, and so, so the Mavericks looked like they were, oh my goodness, they're, they're giving the Clippers a run for their money, but the Clippers then came back and crushed them in the last two games. Uh, um, or I mean, I'm not probably not getting the games exactly right, but there was a game they won by like 40 points. So it was, it was not close, uh, the eventual outcome, but for that one glorious moment when the Mavericks looked like they had an opportunity of overcoming the Clippers, even without Porzingis, uh, Porzingis, um, <laughs> Alas, poor Zingas. I knew him well. <laughs> um, he's not dead. He was just on the Knicks. Uh, oh, he'd be better off. Um, but uh, but they were against the Clippers, right? And the Clippers are another one of the great tragic stories of this NBA bubble, right? Because the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And Kawhi Leonard, who is praised by many upon leaving the former champion Toronto Raptors to play for a big market team, because, of course, you know, um, you know, major sports leagues abhor great players playing in small markets. Um, he, he goes to play for L.A. and there's like commercials in L.A. for him. And and he's like he's wearing New Balances and they're advertising behind him. And he's like the next huge deal uh, now that he's in L.A. And, and their team was sort of always off kilter and nobody really knew what was going on with them. And, and everybody in particular for Paul George would kind of bash him or, or praise him depending on whether he was playing terrible or awesome. And in his press conferences, he seemed kind of down or emotionally out of it. Like the bubble was really wearing on him or he, he didn't really want to be there. Except at other times he would really resent people saying that because he's busting his butt playing these games and he's living at Disney world and it's crazy. Right. And so like, and Kawhi Leonard is the rare um, kind of uh, uh, stellar uh, talent of of the court 
who is very quiet, right, and very mild-mannered. He's like, if Tim Duncan looked like Allen Iverson, he would be Kawhi Leonard, right, which is another. Do you know who any of those people are, Matt? Uh, d- uh, Allen Iverson. Yeah, <laughs> he's the one. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's Tim Duncan with cornrows in his, in his general comportment. He's very reserved, but at the same time, he is a very skilled and aggressive basketball player. Uh, who is very good at winning basketball games, but for some reason in this case didn't. So they just got by the Dallas Mavericks, right? And they had these huge hopes for them. And uh, a bunch of people had huge hopes for them or or just had sort of really invested in the idea that that this was going to be a Western Conference Finals between the Clippers and the Lakers. And it was going to be played in L.A., but of course it's not because it's going to be played in Florida. But this notion that the Clippers were finally going to stand toe-to-toe and slug it out with the Lakers was this sort of story that they they just salivated over. And, and the first cracks in it were when the Clippers were struggling against the Mavericks and then the Clippers all out lost against the Denver Nuggets for another story in this amazing, amazing, uh, amazing season. Right. And the story of the Denver Nuggets is that they're the only team this year. This year is the first and only time in the history of the NBA that a team has come back from two, three games to one deficits in seven game series is you know, to uh, continue to be in in the playoffs. They are currently playing against the L.A. Lakers. I believe they just lost by only two points in the second game of that series. Um, Spoiler alert, Pete. uh, You know, for people who are waiting to watch it all on DVD. (laughs) That's right. They're going to buy the bubble DVD and watch all the games later. I'm sorry for for spoiling what happens at the end of the jazz game. Um, But you have the Denver game. And so in, in my mind, the Denver team is led by this young and very charismatic and, and kind of friendly and charming guy by the name of Jamal Murray, um, and who is also playing with another Eastern European player named Nikola Jocic, uh, who is known as the Joker. So it's Jamal Murray and the Joker. Right. And they sort of everybody asks Jamal Murray about the Joker, which is just great. And Jamal Murray takes it has a lot of kind of uh, authenticity in his interviews. And you just get this sense that he's going out there playing really, really hard. Uh, when the Nuggets played against the Jazz, I think like he dropped like 40 point game. I think he dropped a 50 point game. One of the Jazz players was also dropping 40 point games. They were they were, uh, as he said, we were hooping, uh, <laughs> you know, and like uh, and the idea that, that there's just this joy that Jamal Murray brings to the table when he plays basketball, though basketball is played on the floor. And uh, and that these Denver Nuggets, who have kind of bonded as a team, right, have a shot to take down the big bosses at the end of this. And they took out the Clippers, which is crazy, after falling down 3-1 to one against them. But the story isn't necessarily about how the heroic and plucky Denver Nuggets, but the failure of the Clippers and the failure of Kawhi and how could Kawhi have let everyone down and how could Paul George have let everyone down, which further expands the idea that the story is really about the sportscasters and what are they going to talk about, right? Um, (laughs) And not just any sportscasters, but the big ones, right? Because we've got we've got um, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman on ESPN's first take. You've got uh, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp on, uh, I believe, Fox Sports Undisputed. And you have, of course, my personal favorites and I think America's sweethearts, uh, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, Kenny the Jet Smith and Ernie Johnson on TNT's Inside the NBA. Um, If you have not been tuning in at all to Inside the NBA through this whole time, 
Um, I mean, why would you get? Why would you not listen to more Shaq is, <laughs> and like more Charles Barkley arguing about basketball? I don't know why. It has been uh, one of the things that's kept my brain together during this whole crazy time. To the extent that it's not being torn asunder just by trying to describe this basketball season, um, and just you know, like all of their, their all of the different shows kind of referencing each other and yelling about what's happening and and sort of wrestling with their narratives and Charles Barkley guaranteeing victory for the eventual loser of pretty much every series, right? And like Charles Barkley's bringing out brooms and sweeping the floor to say the team's going to sweep, and then Shaq's bringing out brooms and breaking them over his knee, right? <laughs> <laughs> when the team when the team wins um and and so there's this this notion that there's a there's a passion and urgency to the basketball commentariat right now that is just bella right i mean <laughs> and it has serious stakes it goes up to it includes a controversy which i'll loop back to now and again i know i'm running over but i'm just going to try to keep going through some of this have you heard of any of these people matt do you know who shaquille o'neal is I, yes i'm familiar all right. I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I, I mean, excellent, excellent. No, actually, I grew up with a different era of uh, player, but yes, I do know. Who he was in Steel. It's great. Uh, <laughs> and so he, uh, which really Richard Roundtree's in it. It's a great movie. Um, and so, uh, so, so there was a particular controversy uh, late in the season uh, that has happened recently, where the very highly desirable job of the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Has was was uh, given, you might say, although that, of course, kind of inverts the notion of what it is to be a worker versus like a consumer. Um, but the the job has been uh, filled with the former NBA two time MVP, Steve Nash, who was a kind of legendary player, uh, you know, one of one of the great players of his era, which is of the 2000s, um, a player who is, of course, white. Right. Uh, which is important, both because it is arguable. And I will say this. This is arguable that Steve Nash should not have won at least one of those MVPs because it should have gone to Kobe Bryant. But it was the year that Kobe Bryant was embroiled in his uh, rape controversy. Right. Yeah. Um, his accused rape. And I'm not going to go one way or the other on that, particularly because I think just going into just talking about Kobe Bryant and the death of Kobe Bryant this year is itself a huge part of this whole drama and this huge part of this whole backdrop. You know, Shaq weeping openly on TV, right, for real people that he actually knows and not just, you know, because he, you know, you know, his lunch didn't get delivered, right? Like, it's like real, these like the sublime and the absurd are colliding. Um, mm. And so Stephen A. Smith, perhaps the sort of uh, most widely listened to um, even though he's not Charles Barkley or Shaquille O'Neal, commentator on basketball right now as the sort of flagship commentator on the flagship show on ESPN, um, called out, look, this job for the Brooklyn Nets went to this guy, Steve Nash, who has not been an assistant coach in the NBA. He was a player development consultant for a while, but then he left the NBA and he kind of GM'd the Canadian national team and he bought a soccer team. And he was like, he was uh, kind of the owner of a professional soccer team. Um, and he was doing kind of international work and, and stuff. And, and he wasn't even really around the NBA much. And why has he come back? And why has this job gone to him rather than to any number of very qualified black candidates? Right. Because the NBA just shut down because the players were demanding that the league be less racist. And supposedly the league, cap league capitulated to this. And like supposedly we're all actually trying to investigate our prejudices here. So like why is this something that happened? Which is set up against the backdrop of like, well, yeah, but it's Steve Nash. Right. Um, or also the counterpoint being roll it back. Kevin Durant is the player on the Nets 
that had previously worked with Steve Nash when he was a player consultant. Perhaps it was Kevin Durant who wanted Steve Nash to be there, in which case, if you say that Kevin Durant isn't allowed to pick the coach that he wants, is what you're doing in that sense also kind of structurally racist? Or is the notion that Kevin Durant has an obligation to pick a black coach because he needs to recognize his position of power and his ability to lift others up? Or is that unfair because Kevin Durant should be allowed to do whatever it takes to win, just like a white player in his situation would, right? So there's like so many different ways to view that controversy. Um, I mean, my own personal opinion about it is uh, is probably that um, that it has a lot to do with the Nets being in Brooklyn and being kind of uh, a big money team and then needing to pick somebody who was very uh, comfortable and kind of around uh, ownership in big business and a lot of NBA coaches who are former players are are a little bit rough around the edges in terms of like how they deal with kind of senior management, which which you could see as unfair, right? Like if they win you basketball games, why does it matter? That's their job. And also you could see it as structurally racist, right? Because you could think, hey, you know, Mark Jackson growing up, you know, playing street ball in Staten Island or wherever he was before he went to St. John's, right? Of course he doesn't have the kind of cachet of Steve Nash, who, you know, was born in South Africa and went to one of the finest boarding schools in Canada. Right. Like like, you know, who's like father is a professional soccer player and whose friends at the family cookouts were were professional hockey players and soccer players. Right. Uh So like so like there's stacks of of intersectional uh, privilege. Right. And so there's this drama with the commentators where the commentators are arguing with each other. Charles Barkley is saying you're being crazy, Stephen A. Smith. Right. You're being silly. Right. Um, Stephen A. Smith is like standing his ground. Right. We're asking, you know, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp what they think. And Skip Bayless is deferring to Shannon Sharp because Skip Bayless is white and Shannon Sharp is black. And and so, of course, you should be the one to talk. Right. And so, like, all of these things are all being played out. Right. And you can see all of the little dynamics that are at play. So maybe that's the story, right? Maybe the real story here is how the commentariat are negotiating with each other, both the profound and the absurd, right? Maybe the story is about the chorus, you know, like that is trying to kind of digest what has happened, right? And what continues to have happened uh, through this whole thing. So that's another idea, right? Um, But I haven't even gotten back to who beat Giannis, which is Jimmy Bucket's butler, who, of course, was orphaned at the age of 13 or were like kicked out by his mom because she didn't like the look of him. You know, nothing is known about the first 12 years of his life. You know, homeless, living on friends' couches until he's taken in years later by a high school classmate and adopted into their family. Right. Went to junior college because he had transferred from basketball to football from football to basketball because he didn't like the heat and he didn't really get any real buzz as a basketball player. Transferred to play in Minnesota at Marquette, takes them on a Cinderella story in the NCAA. Right. And from there becomes a journeyman in the NBA. Good defender, not a great scorer, grinding it every year until he has like a breakout season and starts becoming a star. And he comes to the city of Philadelphia to be one of their part of their their process and leaves. And now everyone hates him there. (laughs) 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 And then he goes to oh, oh, there's a great story where when Jimmy Butler was dissatisfied with the with the uh, level of intensity and the management quality of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves where he was playing, uh, he challenged he, he challenged his teammates. He took all of the bench warmers and he challenged the other starters to a game in practice and he beat all of them <laughs> right? and he's basically like fix this or i'm leaving and they didn't fix it and he left 
Um, and so he came to Miami underneath, of course, the sort of gray haired auspices of Pat Riley, who's still around the sort of old slick haired boss of Showtime, the sort of rough and tumble New York Knicks head coach from the 90s, who is out there kind of masterminding and, and sort of riding the wave of the crest and fall of the Miami Heat as they gain and lose and gain and lose. And he's seen that team be great and terrible several times at this point. And Jimmy Butler, of course, backed not particularly by any real superstar talent, takes out Giannis, right? And 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 the, and the Heat are moving up here, right? Like, and they have players too. They have they have Hero, right? It's a great name. It's Hero, <laughs> um, and and he's a young guy, and he's he's hungry, right? And there's stories of him of Jimmy Butler getting the rookies up at 4 a.m. to practice because they want to be the best conditioned team and just outrun all the other teams. And they're playing against the Celtics who are the kind of baby-faced young team of the future with Jason Tatum and, and so many of the sportscasters are from Boston that they supposedly get lots of preferential treatment in the media and everybody wants the Celtics to be special and the Celtics to win. Um, and, and the Heat come in and kind of have a zone defense and really hustle and kind of are right now in the process of like battling it out with them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Or, or, or is it LeBron's story? Mm. Have you heard of LeBron James? Matt? He uh, he commissioned a translation of the Bible, didn't he? <laughs> yes, the King James Bible, right? Um, it is LeBron James is, of course, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, a businessman, a philanthropist, a man of international renown, uh, an extremely talented and gifted athlete, uh, the the definitive NBA player of the past 20 years. Uh, currently, I believe he is 36 years old. And he is playing some of the best basketball of his life for the 52 and 19 in the regular season L.A. Lakers. Um, And they are currently embattled with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, King James, uh, his conscience is, I think, the bulwark of the NBA's ability to publicly express the political feelings of so many of the people that play ball there. And so many, of course, of the fans because of he's he's the indispensable man. Right. He's the one who says, well, if if LeBron is not going to play, then none of this means anything. Right. Um, You know, the the NBA players all are empowered and encouraged to wear political slogans where their names would normally be on the backs of their jerseys. And you get the sense that LeBron has a lot to do with this. Right. And And LeBron Uh, Being, again, another very tall, very strong, very fast, very gifted athlete who also has developed over time supremely versatile and impressive basketball skills. Uh, The the man who I mean, let's let's say what it is, you know, the man who is probably better than Jordan was. Right. But what does that mean? Right. The eternal the eternal debate. Right. Well, what does it mean to be better? Right. Well, you know, does it just mean that, you know. Uh, You know, uh, Kasparov is better than Bobby Fischer because Kasparov got to read all of Bobby Fischer's games. Right. You know, like without Bobby Fischer, there is no Kasparov. Right. Mm. Without, you know, Steinitz, there's no Bobby Fischer, which is extreme. But it's and do you know who any of those people are? Uh, Yes, I know the chess people. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, Is that am I doing a storied one hander, Matt? Without 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 Bobby Fischer, there's there's no Waitskin. Without Waitskin, there's no you know Ben Kingsley. You know, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> without Ben Kingsley, there's there's no you know uh, India becoming independent from Britain, right? So it all comes you know it all comes together. Well, then Iron Man, of course. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It all it's all connected. <laughs> um, but but I guess what I'm saying is like. There's a monster at the end of this book, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the monster is LeBron James. Um, and and the notion is what I think there was this there was this popular narrative early in the season that the L.A. Clippers were going to really be the favorites, and it was going to be it was going to be whether Kawhi and Paul George can get ahead of uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? One of the other great players on the L.A. Lakers. Whether they can beat them, Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo is also on the LA Lakers, um, but it's usually Anthony Davis and LeBron James, not in that order mentioned. Unless you're going alphabetical by first name, that would be one situation in which Anthony Davis would be first, <laughs> uh, or last name, in fact, uh, <laughs> or or in terms of of I think eyebrow proximity. Um, I, I, there's no reason for me to say that. I apologize. The point is that um, that that there is this. So, OK, there's this ongoing cultural discussion about whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the better basketball player. And the last dance was the the sort of attempt to write this sort of unsurpassable right document that kind of proves and proves in the poetry that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Mm. And uh, but LeBron James, of course, is, you know, supremely talented and supremely versatile and has won a bunch of championships and has been the guy to beat for a really super long time. And also, you know, there's this sort of underlying, you know, fair assumption that athletes over time do get better because technology improves, you know, medication improves, uh, training techniques improve, uh, strategic techniques improve. You get to watch all the tapes of all the Jordan games and learn from him, like what Kobe did, right? So, so you know, there's no Kobe without Jordan, right? Mm. Um, and and there's and there's LeBron kind of stands on the shoulders of giants, but LeBron finds himself the giant that everybody else is trying to either to climb the beanstalk of and kind of cast down, right? Um, he he is, uh, and, and there's the question of you know he's pretty he's pretty sympathetic at this point, right? Like LeBron is. You don't want LeBron to lose, but at the same time, you're also not really comfortable with LeBron, LeBron winning. Everybody wants there to be some new story. Um, uh, and, and, I mean, if you're a Lakers fan, you're very comfortable with LeBron winning. And if you're a passionate Lakers fan, uh, then you will decry all the haters who've ever doubted that this was ever anything but LeBron James's season to lose, right? That all those other people, right, uh, he stands astride them like a colossus, right? Mm. <laughs> um, he... Uh, uh, which I know primarily from Civilization Two, but I believe is also from Julius Caesar. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> um, and so that's the story, right? And so we're down to these final four teams, these, these these four teams in the conference finals that are duking it out. You've got the Celtics, who are a small ball team of talented, three point savvy, quick, young, uh, persistent players who ha- who are a, a kind of darlings of a sort. The, the baby faces of the matchup, right, against the the hardworking and kind of uh, outperforming Miami Heat, who nobody expects to make it this far, led by Jimmy Buckets, the pariah of Philadelphia. Um, and then Jimmy and Buckets, East- who sounds like a like a like a two bit gangster, it sounds like something from a Damon Runyon story or something <laughs> like that. Hey, baby, I love I, it. I love I'm it. Jimmy Buckets. huh? <laughs> 
And then and then on the other side, you've got the king and his court, right? The L.A. Lakers, mm. the the storied yellow and purple, right? Or gold and purple or purple and gold or whatever. they. Probably purple and gold. I don't even know what order and words they, they are. Use. They are regal colors. They are yes. definitely, you know. They wear the raiment of kings, right? And versus the young and joyful and hungry, you know, Jamal Murray and the Joker. And nobody's giving the Denver Nuggets much of a chance at all at beating them. Um, even though they, the game today at least looked like it was pretty close. So, and today being Sunday. So, and that's the question, right? Is it youthful exuberance? Is it hard-fought determination? Is it is it kind of a virtuosic talent? Or is it kind of like mighty legacy, right? What is it that you think is going to end up being, or is there going to be just sort of some way that everybody loses? Uh, <laughs> that, that, that like it's just all, the bubble is going to pop uh, and there's going to be a hurricane that hits Disney World, like knock on wood, um, to complete our sort of Greek, our Greek story, uh, as Giannis ta- told us. Um, anyway, um, I've been hearing all that, Matt. Any reactions or thoughts? Any favorites? Who would you put your money on at this point? Well, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I grew up in the era of, of Magic and Kareem and Lay, you know, like, uh, so, you know, I've, I'll never bet against the LA Lakers, even during the long period when they weren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough the great contenders right who are it's like it's really i mean it's it, yeah it is really la's team you know the the uh at least a i don't know it's a certain sorry okay let me explain to you pete for the second half of the podcast yes. let, let me explain two, beginning now yeah the, the geography of fire of los angeles okay so like there are eight places where you can cross the 405 you can cross it at sunset you can cross it at Wilshire. Kevin, here. <laughs> what do you think, Pete? What's your what's your call for not not what you think is going to happen, but what would be the most poetically appropriate if you could write this uh, for a movie, you know, with no or or a, a prestige television show where you you want an ending that you know fulfills all the kind of Aristotelian not Aristotelian yeah the Aristotelian criteria of like surprise and inevitability that teaches you something about what it means not not teaches you something moral but like that illuminates something about what it is to be human and what life is actually like. Um, if you could write the end uh, of this season, how how would you wrap all these plot threads up and and bring it to a close? Uh, well, first of all, I would start with a rule of three. Okay, which is that the LA Lakers would jump out to a three to one series lead, and Denver would somehow manage to beat them huh. because they just did it twice in a row. <laughs> so just for the sake of the rule of three, um, but also it's because I I don't know I like I like Jamal Murray on camera. Um, but more, more than that, um, gosh, maybe I have to think about that. I, I, I want that underdog to win, but they wouldn't win. Here's what I think would happen. Here's, here's what I would want to have happen. I think, um, okay. So my first thought would be the reason that I would want LeBron to not make it to the finals is that I have heard tell that, that when the season started, people have been talking about whether this season should have an asterisk on it or not whether this season should be considered to be a, a real season of basketball. And the no, and the idea is that um, one of the ways that you, it's sort of, it's a little bit paradoxical because it can be both a strength and a, and a weakness. One of the ways that you can ascertain that a game is fair is if the good people win, 
like the people, not the good guys, like the the people who are morally good, but the people who are the best at the thing that is being competed over. If they can win, then that means that the contest is serving its purpose, right? Which is to contend, right? So, you know, one of the good examples of this is poker, right? Like you would, is poker a game of luck or a game of skill? Where if it was entirely a game of luck, then you would not expect the same people to win so many tournaments, but at the same time, if poker was a fraud and full of cheating, you would expect the same people to win a whole bunch of tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like um, there's both this sense of of validation and this sense of invalidation that comes from the same people winning all the time. And I think there are a lot of people who, looking at this season, if neither the Clippers nor the Lakers make the finals, would look back at this and say there was something about the bubble that disrupted the game, right? Because we know that they were the best, You know, we know that they were the best. And if this was really fair and this was really and this wasn't absurd, then they would have won. And of course, for that, I would say, you know, it's basketball. You have to prove it on the court. Right. That that the point of these competitions is they need to be competed. And and my my saying about these all things of these things all the time is superiority is a poor substitute for victory. Mm -hmm. The idea that everybody argues about who is the best because they they want to have just one. Right, right. Right. They want to have always won. They want to always have just won. And, and I feel like there are teams that only win once in a very, very long time or never at all who still have fans. And those fans are there because of the revelatory moments where their teams won uh, and the experiences they had watching those teams play. And that's what I value. And when I, I say this as a person who grew up as a Yankees fan, that I always value the stories of the victories of the great players more than I valued them being the best team uh, over time. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people would agree that the least interesting thing about the New York Yankees is how much better than other teams they were over a prolonged period. Mm. Uh, and um, so with that in mind, I would like to put to the test the notion that the season is is uh, in, invalid, right, illegitimate by having it be the Heat versus Denver in the finals. Mm-hmm. And I would like there to be some sort of catastrophe that shuts the power off. So they have to play with nobody watching. <laughs> <laughs> that it has to be like just they come to center court right and we can't see it and they just play right and and, and they'll tell us what happened or someone will tell us what happened you know maybe maybe Shaq and and Charles Barkley bring their phones and helicopter in right with with masks and covid tests and are taking handheld video of them playing in this sort of shattered bubble right which is at this point been invaded by aliens or something Right. Um, uh, I mean, for me, I would say that if if the point of the season narratively is not to show that the randomness of sports is not a failure. Right. But 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 is a success. The notion that even the worst team has a chance to win is a reflection of reality, not a failure to uh, design the game properly. Mm-hmm. Right. And not just a trick to make people feel good about themselves by, by kind of adding the illusion that they have a chance when they don't. Right. But the idea that if you go out there and you try and you play, there's a chance you could win mm. um, a chance that feels very human to me and, and kind of stripping it down to that. But barring that, I would like to see LeBron. I would like to see a Lakers heat heat final, mm. um, mostly because I want to see the the physicality and the hustle. Um, I want to see the these teams where underlying the 
claims of victory and dominance that they've shown over their opponents this season is a certain idea of a certain sort of specific idea of physical talent. Um, not necessarily being freakish, but being very athletic and very determined. Um, and I want to see whether the Heat's zone defense is worth it against a team that isn't playing the modern style step back three basketball that you see all the time strictly, mm. right? A team that does have kind of people under the basket that has some old school people, right? Um, yeah, I guess I guess I'm saying that like my sentimental favorite is Denver because I want to see uh, I want to see youth put the question to age. Um and that's perhaps found in kind of the fulfillment I see in the smile of my own son mm. as he plots my ultimate destruction, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but but which I embrace joyfully because I love him dearly, um, even though he's four months old. And uh, and uh, I would like to see that, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that a more realistic uh, ultimate conclusion would be the Lakers versus the Heat, mm-hmm. because the Lakers versus the Celtics is too good, right? It's like it's the recapitulation of the past. And, and and I do want to see it's always great when people of Philadelphia hate something that's happening. I just feel like <laughs> I just I don't get I feel bad because Ryan Shealy, of course, you know, dear, dear friend and 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 of course, overthinker extraordinaire, big Philadelphia 76ers fan. And I don't really want to poop on him. I'm thinking more of like Donovan McNabb and the fans of Philadelphia and their reputation. But I shouldn't mm. say Philadelphia basketball fans have been very positive and they're and they're they're sad. They're hurting right now, and I shouldn't dance on their pain. Um, but there is something very sentimental about the story of Jimmy Butler, and uh, and and I am curious to see uh, whether it would stand up in the face of of true royalty, right? Mm. Um, and honestly, like LeBron, be this is not the time that America needs LeBron to be humbled. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a time where maybe LeBron is the one guy who can step out of this and kind of talk to everybody and have everybody listen. That's not true. Not everybody's going to listen to LeBron. Oh, so, so you're saying that after the curtain comes down, he comes forward as himself <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. gives a soliloquy <laughs> at the a soliloquy at the end to be like, uh, you know, if we players have offended, <laughs> think about this. And oh, all no. is- if we players have offended, <laughs> necessity drove us, and desperation was our fuel. Justice is what we, you know, is our hunger, right? Um, if us players have offended, right? Uh, you know, look at the streets, <laughs> look at the people, right? You know, lo- look at the world around you, and ask why it is that the players are are the ones giving offense when when there's so much else in the world that's offensive, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, all I want is for for uh, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal to somehow be happy. Give us, uh, give, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, overthinking it, listeners. Overthinking it, <laughs> listeners. Give us your hands if we be friends. Worst basketball takes ever, but passionate ones. And King James shall restore amends. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much, Pete, for this uh, man-on-man, this uh, one-on-one game of of half-court basketball that we call the podcast. We'll be back next week with more. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny and probably... Doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. So, Matt, yeah. you ever played basketball? <laughs>